Hey, Rarecast listeners, the drug development process is no longer just for industry. Join Global Genes for the annual Rare Drug Development Symposium to connect with rare disease stakeholders in the drug development space and learn what role you can play to advance treatments and cures for rare diseases. The symposium takes place in Philadelphia, June 11th and 12th. For more information, go to globalgenes.org forward slash RDDS. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. As rare disease patients and advocates seek to raise awareness around the globe for World Rare Disease Day at the end of February, one notable place they'll gather is on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. It's become an annual tradition for rare disease advocates to talk face-to-face with lawmakers to bring the abstractions of rare disease down to a human level and speak about the needs patients and their caregivers face. We spoke to Steve Silvestri, Director of Public Policy for the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases, about Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill, the case for patients and caregivers to become advocates, and how they can go about doing so. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about Rare Disease Advocacy, Rare Disease Week, and the annual Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill that the Every Life Foundation organizes. Perhaps you can begin by offering an overview of what takes place on Capitol Hill during that time. How many advocates gather, and what do they do once they're there? Sure. Well, Rare Disease Week is an annual event that brings hundreds of rare disease patients and caregivers to Washington, D.C., for events focused on rare disease policy and advocacy. Um, the Every Life Foundation will be hosting a rare disease congressional caucus briefing, a documentary screening, a legislative conference, a reception on Capitol Hill to highlight our rare artist program, and, of course, a Hill Day where advocates will be able to meet with their members of Congress. The FDA and NIH are also going to bookend the week with public rare disease days on Monday and Friday. Attendance has grown each year that we've done this, and we anticipate nearly a 1,000 people to come to D.C. for this week. Uh, Many patients and caregivers can feel quite overwhelmed just getting a diagnosis, searching for a diagnosis, caring for a loved one. Uh, I want to talk a little about the patient-caregiver and how they become an advocate with regards to the people you've worked with or come in contact with, is there some kind of triggering event that takes them from beyond dealing with the disease they're dealing with that turns them into wanting to go and advocate? So from my experience, uh, when a patient or caregiver engages in advocacy for the first time, then they're hooked. And it's the role of the Every Life Foundation to encourage them to make that first call, send that first email, or attend that first meeting with a lawmaker. Once they see how powerful their voice is 
and how easy it is to advocate, they'll usually continue to be engaged. But it's very understandable that after you receive a diagnosis, policy is probably the last thing on your mind. So we encourage patients and their families to become engaged with us when they feel ready. But once they're in a place to do that, we'll give them all of the tools to make it as easy as possible for them. Why does it matter? Why is it important for patients and, and their families to become advocates as well? Well, state and federal government plays a role in every step of the journey for a family affected by a rare disease, whether it's diagnosis, research, therapy development, or access to care. Um, for example, legislation that expands newborn screening can ensure another family gets a timely diagnosis or increased federal funding for the NIH could result in research that facilitates a treatment for your disease. Unfortunately, these things are not going to happen without someone advocating for them. I know many people may feel ill-equipped and can be intimidated by the thought of going to the Hill and, and, and speaking to their congressional representative. Do you provide any training or orientation for them? Yes, that's the Every Life Foundation's job. Um, we're an organization that seeks to prepare and empower patients to be successful advocates. So, for example, before Rare Disease Week meetings with lawmakers, we'll provide educational programming both on the substance of the policies and legislation and also give tips on how to have a successful meeting, how to follow up, and how to stay engaged with members of Congress. We also host events throughout the year and throughout the country, both in person and virtually, to help prepare patients to be strong voices um, in legislative and regulatory opportunities. So, for example, we have a Rare on the Road program uh, where we partner with Global Genes and our staff will go to four cities throughout the year um, so that we can actually go to patients in their communities and educate them on how to be successful advocates. I know many congressional representatives and their staff are very tightly scheduled. They're, they're constantly on the move. How much time does a, a rare advocate generally get to sit down and have a face-to-face -face conversation? So a typical meeting lasts about 15 to 30 minutes. Uh, it's important to be respectful of their time. As you mentioned, these offices are very busy, but um, advocates need to realize that a short meeting can still have a really large impact, and it's often an opportunity to start a relationship with a congressional office that will last long beyond that 15 or 30-minute meeting. I know I had the opportunity to, to do a tag-along with industry folks in the state capitol uh, some time ago. Uh, one of the things that really struck me was the range in sophistication of understanding the issues with the, the folks we talked to. What level of understanding do the people on the Hill who meet with rare disease advocates generally have about the issues that the advocates want to talk about? Well, it certainly varies, and lawmakers and their staff are usually very smart, but they're spread thin with all the issues that they have to address. So rarely can they ever become an expert on any one topic. Um, when I was a congressional staffer, I was covering a number of policy issues, including healthcare, energy, and education, just to name a few. So that's why advocacy is so important. Uh, when I was on the Hill, I knew nothing about rare diseases until I met with rare disease patient advocates from my congressional district who came down to D.C. for Rare Disease Week. After meeting with them, hearing their stories, and understanding the need um, for policy changes to address the unique challenges faced by rare disease patients, 
this became a priority for our congressional office, and we dedicated more time to understanding it and more energy behind addressing it. So it's our job as advocates now to educate lawmakers and their staff on the issues that are important to us, and then persistently but respectfully encourage them to make rare disease issues a priority. I'm wondering if you can expand on that. What was your memory of that experience of being on the other side of the table and, and hearing from rare disease patients? Sure. It was something that um, was really unique because there are a lot of challenges amongst the rare disease patient population um, that are unique to rare disease patients. You know, these segmented, small patient populations, the lack of interest from a lot of the private sector in addressing really small patient populations because of the return on investment. And we saw this as a place where um, government and Congress and a lot of the federal agencies really had a role to play for this underserved community. And it wasn't something that was on our radar at all. But when you hear from a family and they talk about um, having a grandchild with a rare disease that only affects 100 people in the entire world, I think it's clear that that's a place where Congress needs to become more engaged. What was it about that experience that suddenly took something that wasn't on the radar for your office and made it a priority? Sure. So during Rare Disease Week, uh, we met with a number of families um, who were affected by all different rare diseases. And there were a few um, consistent challenges that no matter what the disease, no matter where they were geographically, what their financial situation was, they faced these common issues. You know, one was the diagnostic odyssey. All of them talked about how it took years for them or for their child to ever get a diagnosis. And everything that goes into that delay you're talking about, um, you know, degenerative diseases, and every month, every year can really take a toll on that patient. And also financially, not having that di diagnosis can be a real problem. And so there were those common themes where we saw we can do something, uh, big tent, that will help all of these different rare disease patient populations. And given that these advocates will generally have a very short time to get a point across. How personal do you advise them to be in, in talking to the folks they're talking to? It's great to be personal and telling your story, um, but it's important to present it in a way that can be easily related to the challenges of the larger disease community. Like I mentioned earlier, having those underlying themes that really affect everyone makes it easier for a congressional office to actually act and help you. So I always suggest going into a meeting with a lawmaker with a problem and a solution. Start by sharing your story and use your personal experience to demonstrate what the problem is, and then explain how your legislative ask is that solution. Um, it's always great to have an ask so that members of Congress or their staff can leave the meeting and know exactly what they can do to help. Um, but I always say, don't avoid advocacy if you don't necessarily have an ask. Maybe you don't know what the solution is. Just schedule a meeting with your state or federal lawmaker. Tell them your story and make it something that's going to be on their radar um, when issues come up that might be relevant. And they're going to have your story in mind when they vote on that or when they work on that issue. Given the importance of having a, a formal ask, is that something you help advocates think through? Is it, you know, you're dealing with a, a body that rights laws should be thought of in the context of legislation? Sure. So the Every Life Foundation, you know, works proactively to develop our own policy solutions, and we also engage supportively on a lot of existing proposals that are out there. 
And when it comes to the advocacy that we lead on, we'll try to give advocates uh, some resources on these are the top issues that we see for the rare disease community. And when they have a number of issues, they can see what resonates with them and their personal experience and advocate for that. But within everything we do, we also say, if you have another ask that we might not have mentioned, feel free to, to bring that up. We do not tell patients what to say. We just try to make it as easy for them to get their message across as possible. And one of the things that struck me in speaking to some rare disease advocates who have participated in this event previously is how they've been able to build an ongoing relationship, particularly with their local representative. Uh, do you talk about doing that at all with, with the advocates that participate? Of course. It's really important to build a relationship, especially when you think about the fact that um, your state lawmaker might one day become your federal lawmaker, or the staffer in one congressional office might be the staffer in another congressional office down the road. Having these types of relationships makes um, when you do need to have an ask much easier because they know who you are, they know your story. I always suggest, no matter what you're advocating for, that you try to build a relationship before you ever need to go ask for something. Um, it's very common for congressional offices to have people come out of nowhere and say, can you do this for me? But when you have someone who just comes in and says, I want to share my story with you, I want to talk to you about what I'm facing as a constituent, then when you do a month or a year down the road come in with an ask, they're going to be much more receptive. Individual advocates may have their own policy priorities, but I thought while I have you, we could touch on some of the major policy issues likely to be addressed during visits on Capitol Hill. Have you touch on each of those? Every Life organizes these issues into three buckets, diagnostics, therapeutic development, and access. I, I thought we could run through each of those quickly and have you highlight some of the policy initiatives. Perhaps you can start with diagnostics. Of course. So there's two really important diagnostics bills in Congress right now. There's the reauthorization of the Newborn Screening Saves Lives Act and the Advancing Access to Precision Medicine Act. And the Newborn Screening Bill would reauthorize all of the federal programs that support newborn screening done at the state level. Um, and the screening of these certain conditions for newborns across the nations is really valuable in getting an early diagnosis so that you can react in a timely manner. Unfortunately, this authorization expired late last year, so we must continue to advocate that Congress reauthorize it immediately. Um, and then the Advancing Access to Precision Medicine Act would expand Medicaid coverage for DNA sequencing services to ensure that children and young adults with an undiagnosed condition have access to these clinical services. And, you know, it, it's, I can never stress enough how important having that early diagnosis is, um, both to the individual patient and to their journey, as well as to the overall healthcare system. Is there any talk about harmonizing newborn screening from state to state? Uh, sure. And something that we do at the state level is what we call rust alignment legislation. So the federal government recommends a certain set of core conditions that every state should screen for. Um, but as you mentioned, states are not required to actually screen for those conditions. And to get your condition added to what the federal government recommends, uh, which is called the RUSP, um, it's a pretty extensive scientific process. So our feeling is that once you've made it through that process and gotten added to what the federal government recommends, um, a state should really automatically start screening for it. So this RUSP alignment legislation 
um, would require a state to screen for what's recommended at the federal level. And we go state by state um, to try and get them to implement this legislation. And we've been successful in both California and Florida, which are two very high birth rate states, in getting this legislation enacted. So now when the federal government recommends a new condition, um, individual patient organizations don't need to go into California and Florida to lobby them to start screening for this condition. It's automatic. They have roughly two years, and then they'll start screening for those conditions. So that's the work we've been doing on the state level. And, you know, we certainly would be supportive of a process in which states, um, all 50, are screening right away um, for these conditions that are federally recommended. Um, but there have been a lot of challenges in trying to, uh, you know, impose that on states. So that's why we've needed to go state by state um, and handle this within their legislatures. How about in the area of therapeutic development? Sure. So a lot of advocates are going to be asking their members of Congress during this Rare Disease Week to sign a letter to the FDA in support of establishing a rare disease center of excellence within the agency. There are so many really unique challenges to the clinical trial process for small uh, patient populations. And so we see a center of excellence as being something that can really support rare disease drug development. The 21st Century Cures Act, which is a piece of great legislation that was enacted a few years ago, gave the FDA authority to establish these centers of excellence, and they established one for the, uh, the Center of uh, Excellence for Oncology three years ago. And this has been a really successful center, um, and it's accelerated a lot of uh, therapy in oncology. So the Rare Disease Center of Excellence could help to elevate rare disease expertise within the FDA and improve communication between different centers and divisions that make up the agency. This would accelerate treatments and maybe be the, the difference between something getting approved or not approved for a patient population. And finally, the area of access. This is a new frontier for a lot of rare disease patients and patient organizations. So historically, there have been so few approved therapies for rare diseases that the focus has been mostly on diagnostics and therapy development. You know, for example, there are still, um, out of all the different rare diseases, there's only about 7% um, of them have an approved FDA treatment. So we have a long way to go in terms of therapy development. But in recent years, there's been a lot of great innovation for rare diseases, and a lot of new rare disease therapies have gotten approved. So now a lot, in the, a lot of people in the rare disease patient community have been engaging more in access. And they've done this because they're realizing that there's another hurdle to overcome, um, which is access. Having an approved therapy does not mean that you will be able to get that approved therapy. Um, and there are a lot of barriers in our current system to that. So some of these challenges you know, include the fact that we have a state-by-state -state Medicaid system um, there's barriers to innovative payment models for one-time curative therapies. There's a lack of ICD-10 codes for rare diseases, which create a lot of reimbursement challenges. Um, and it's certainly not limited to these, but those are just some of that have risen to the top of our policy work. And the Every Life Foundation this year launched an access working group so that we can become much more engaged in the access space and access policy. And the goal is to recognize what these challenges are identify the solutions, and then advocate, as we as an organization do so well, for the necessary change. Before we go, I wanted to point people to the Rare Disease Legislative Advocates website, which is a program of the Every Life Foundation. RDLA offers online resources for rare disease advocates at rdla.org forward slash advocacy hyphen tools. 
people can can people still register for rare disease week on capitol hill so our registration officially closed yesterday but if people um, who are listening want to register for rare disease week they can reach out through to our team through the website or directly by calling us up and we would be happy to register them and allow them to attend all of the events throughout the week. And what are the actual dates that you'll be there? Monday, February 24th, is the FDA public meeting. That's followed by events that we'll be hosting Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday is that day for advocates to go meet with their members of Congress. And then on Friday, February 28th, we'll close out the week with an event at the National Institutes of Health. Steve Silvestri, Director of Public Policy for the Every Life Foundation. Steve, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.